you have your Bibles, if you will turn in them to Philippians chapter 1. Or you could turn into your scripture journal if you had a chance to pick one of these up. Last Sunday, I'll say this. I am trying to sell something here. It is the Word of God. They're, uh, they're out there in the narthex if you want to pick one up. It's a great way. I heard one uh, brother tell me one time that often the, the most practical way to meditate on the scripture is to take a pen and paper. And so may God use this tool to help you study his word for yourself and, and learn from it this morning. We're beginning a new sermon series this morning in Paul's epistle to the Philippian church, known as Philippians. Uh, it's one of Paul's uh, prison epistles that he wrote uh, while he was imprisoned in Rome, we believe. He wrote to encourage the Philippian church, and we will be studying the book of Philippians for some 15 weeks. So our passage today is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is God's holy word to us this morning. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you for this word, your word to your church. And so, Father, we pray that the truths that are here will be applied to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the very common things that we say to each other often when we know someone who may be going through a hard time or facing a difficult situation is we'll say to them, hey, I, I will pray for you. I'm, I'm sorry you're going through that. I, I will pray for you. It's very common among especially Christians here in the South to ex express how much we care about someone or we care about their, simply, their situation to simply say, hey, I'm going to pray for you as you go through this. I know I have said this many times, but do we really? Do we actually go and take the time to pray for someone when we told them that we would pray for their situation? I know many times I have been guilty of saying that I would and not do it. I don't think we fail to pray for others because we don't care about them or that we sometimes may forget, but oftentimes we don't necessarily know how to pray or what to pray in regards to their situation. 
So if you were tasked to pray for someone today, if you told someone that you would pray for them, someone who needs some serious divine intervention to help them in their situation or in their daily lives, how would you pray for them? How would you go about praying for them? Parents, what about you? How do you pray for your children? How do you intercede before God the Father on behalf of your children? Do you, do you find yourselves praying for the same things at times over and over and over? Well, here in this first section of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church, we have not only an example of a church father saying that he would actually pray for his brothers and sisters in Christ at the church in Philippi, but then he actually, he actually prays for them. He actually demonstrates for them and tells them what he is praying specifically for them. And so that gives us a clue here. This is something we need to understand about the scriptures. There's many different genres in the Bible, and this is what is called an epistle. It's in a pastoral letter. This is a pastor writing a letter to a church. And we know this was written by the Apostle Paul, the, the last apostle, the one who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, the one who Christ called on that Emmaus road and radically converted him out of a life of persecuting the church to being one of the church's greatest pastors and missionaries of all time. And this is one of the so-called prison epistles because they actually wrote it while he was in prison. And he mentions that here in this letter several times. It may have been, scholars believe, the last letter that he wrote while imprisoned in Rome. And it was on his heart to encourage the saints, the Christians in Philippi, and to see them grow in their faith. And so that's why he wrote this letter. And so the theme for this sermon series, which I believe is the theme of this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, we're calling it Gaining, Gaining Christ. Gaining Christ. And this idea is taken from several parts of this letter and this theme that we'll see uh, played throughout as we study the book of Philippians. Specifically, if you want to glance ahead there to verse 21 in Philippians chapter 1, where Paul makes that famous statement. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. You want to flip ahead again to chapter 3 and verses 7 through 10. He essentially says the same thing there again. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. But whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So we'll see this theme of gaining Christ over and over and over as we study the book of Philippians. Because this is what Paul wanted the Philippians to know. He wanted them to know Christ, to, to know him more and more, to gain him. And this is what God wants for us. This is why the scriptures apply to us, are important for us. 
He, God wants us to know Christ, and by knowing him more and more, we gain him more and more. All the goodness, all the fullness of God's love because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at the conclusion of this study, may we all be able to say, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is to gain him forever. This theme of gaining Christ is going to show itself again over and over as Paul prays specifically here for the Philippian church in the opening part of his letter. In this opening paragraph, specifically verses 3 through 11, God's word details for us what the priorities of the Christian life are to be. Specifically, Paul's prayer shows us how we're to grow in the Christian life how we're to grow in our understanding of the gospel. So in essence, what Paul is saying to them and what he was praying for them, he's saying, I'm I'm praying very specifically for you and your growth in Christ. I'm praying that as you seek Christ, that you would grow in your relationship with him and that you would know, and look at verse 6. This is kind of the key to this paragraph. That they would know that God the Father who began the good work of salvation in them. The the God the Father who began the good work of salvation in all of our lives, that he will bring it to completion up until that day when Christ returns in all his glory and we are all glorified. What a great comfort. What a great blessing. Maybe this could be even the best promise in all the Bible. I don't know. But that our growth in Christ, is so assured that God's work, because of Christ's work in us, is so assured, is so, is so lockstep along with God the Spirit working in our lives and in our hearts, that God who began this good work, He is going to complete it. How many projects have I started at my home that I've never completed? Anybody got an amen on that? I mean... God is not like that. He finishes what he starts. He will finish the good work he has started in the life of his church and in the life of his people. What a great comfort. One commentator put it this way as he describes Paul's confidence here in what God is going to do in the lives of his people. It's not in the Christianity of the Christians but in the godness of God who is supremely trustworthy and able and committed to finish the work he has begun. Think about that. It's not because, hey, we're Christians. It's because, hey, it is God who is working, who will complete it. He will finish the good work he has begun. And the good work that God began in the Philippians is the good work of salvation where he is working salvation in the lives of his people and the life of his church. It is the good work that he has begun in all of us who know and love Christ Jesus. And this good work is still going. There's still growing to do. There's still more to be done. There's still work to be done in our lives. John Newton famously said, I'm not what I ought to be. And I am not what I want to be. And I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, 
I am what I am. I believe Newton was grasping for us this good work that God began in the lives of the Philippians, that he's working in us, in all of us. It's called sanctification. It's called growing in the Christian life, dying more and more to sin and living more and more to righteousness, becoming more like Jesus Christ. You could say growing in holiness, pursuing holiness. I love the way the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it so clearly when it talks about sanctification. It's the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Simply put, sanctification is pursuing spiritual growth, pursuing holiness. That is what Paul is praying here for the Philippian church. That is how Paul prays for their spiritual growth. It's by living and applying the gospel to their lives. And so there's a bunch of ways that we could outline this passage And I really wish I wouldn't have picked 11 verses to preach on the first one here. (laughs) So we're just going to hone in on verses 9 through 11 and outline this prayer for spiritual growth that Paul prays for the Philippians. And of course, these are seven ways that we can all pray for spiritual growth in our own lives and in the lives of others, perhaps a friend, a spouse, a child. So here it is, seven ways we can pray for spiritual growth. The first is a prayer for gospel growth through agape love. The first thing Paul prays there is a prayer for gospel growth through agape love. Look there in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. The first thing that concerned the Apostle Paul in his prayer for the Philippian Christians is that their love would abound more and more every day. I love that language, abound. Hey, you know, I would probably just say, hey, I hope your love goes well with you. He's very poetic here, that your love would abound more and more every day. And this is not just any love. This is a very specific type of love. This is the Greek word for love called agape, and this love is very special in the scriptures. It is love that demonstrates itself, love that proves itself, love that does something, love in action. It's what Paul is praying for the Philippian Christians. This is what we want for ourselves. And notice, though, there's no direct object for this love that he prays for them. He just says, I pray your love would grow. But... Is Paul saying that he was praying that their love for for God would grow? Or that their love for their neighbor would grow? Which is it? What is he praying for? I think he's nonspecific on purpose. Because it's both. It's D, all the above. You know, it's all the answers. It's it's everything. How, how, How do you grow in your love for God by loving your neighbor? Loving your neighbor shows your love for God. And in a moment here, we're going to see how we grow in our love for God through knowing him more and more. But specifically, how is our love for others demonstrated? Jesus said in the Gospel of John that by this, all all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our love abounding more and more 
Christian love, agape love, shows our love for God and our love for others. And Paul is praying that these Philippians believers would grow in their love. For this is the summary of the whole law, right? To love God and love your neighbor. The second thing that Paul prays for the Philippian believers there, the Philippian church, is a prayer for gospel growth through knowledge of God. So he prays there that, they, that their knowledge would grow. Our love for God and our growth in the gospel cannot grow unless our knowledge, what we know about him, grows. The Greek word for knowledge here is important to point out in the New Testament, epigenosis, because it is most always associated in the New Testament with growing in Christ. So that's what Paul means here that they would grow in Christ, that they would grow in their knowledge of God by growing in their knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And praying that they would grow in their knowledge is for the reason that they would grow to know God more and more. And of course, knowing God more and more increases our love for Him more and more. And likewise, our love for God motivates us to know Him more and more. That's why you are hearing us right now, this time of year, announcing to you like 20 different things you could do to grow in your faith through Sunday school, women's Bible studies, small group, youth activities, all these ways because we want to know God more and more and more. And this is why Paul basically is praying that they would study the scriptures. That they would read the scriptures, they would know the scriptures, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would grow through their knowledge of God in the scriptures, and that they would love God more and more. My prayer for you, my prayer for Cornerstone, my prayer for my family, my prayer for myself, is that we would know Christ more and more and the power of his resurrection. Paul says later in the Philippians. The third thing he prays there is that a prayer for gospel growth through spiritual discernment. Discernment. Now, there's something we don't talk about very much. And Paul, again, is not very specific here when he's praying for discernment for the Philippian Christians. But certainly that's something that we all need in our spiritual growth that we may be able to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is what Paul prays or says to the Ephesians when he instructs them to walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, he tells the Ephesians. Essentially, we could say that this is a prayer that we would be able to use good judgment, that we would be wise about how we apply God's truth to our lives, that we would make godly choices in the way that we live our daily lives. So we must all be praying diligently for discernment. Lord, help me to discern what pleases you every day. Fourth, a prayer for gospel growth through godly choices. Paul says that they would be able to approve what is excellent in verse 10. Paul is saying that the Philippians would use, he's praying that they would use godly wisdom as they grow in their knowledge of God so that they would have discernment to do what pleases the Lord every day with the choices that they make. 
And so knowing God, using godly wisdom, means that we will choose what is excellent opposed to what is bad or corrupt. This means that every day we would make choices that have eternity in mind and not just the present. How many times do we make choices for our families, for our children, for ourselves, for our church? that don't have the long view in mind. Paul is praying here that they would do what is godly and pleasing to the Lord, having eternity in mind, rather than being only selfish and doing what has immediate consequences. What a prayer. What a prayer. We could all pray every day, Lord, help me to choose what is excellent. Help me. Fifth, a prayer for gospel growth through holy living. He prays that they would be pure and blameless. Notice how this prayer keeps building. It's compounding as we move through these verses. It all goes together. Choosing what is excellent means that we will live holy lives, that we will live pure and blameless. Not that we'll be perfect all the time and that we will always make the right choices, but that we are growing in the Christian life. And growing means we are pursuing holiness. And oftentimes in doing that, we're going to mess up. And Lord, help us to grow from that. Pursuing holiness means that your life will be vastly different from the world around you. It means that you will not be living for yourself, but you are living to please your God. And you are living in a way that will be different from a watching world that does not delight in godliness and holy living, but rather revels in the opposite at times. So living holy, living holy means we are living to please the Lord, that we are living to honor Him and to worship Him. And may God help us to live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. The day of Christ that Paul mentions here twice. And we are all perfected. Six, a prayer for gospel growth through fruitful righteousness. That's what he prays there in verse 11. That they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Again, there doesn't seem to be kind of a direct object for this specific prayer. So it's very general. It's Paul, it's Paul praying that we would grow in the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness that we gain through salvation in Christ, or is he praying that we would live righteously. And again, I think we must conclude it's both. <laughs> it's both. And this is why we not only praise God for the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us, but we praise Him for the fruit that He gives us to be able to live the Christian life. And so Paul prays that they would not only grow in their understanding of their justification, that is the righteousness of Christ given to them when Christ died on the cross, but that they would grow in their sanctification. And that is pursuing the fruits of righteousness, which are the fruits of the Spirit. Should we sing them now? You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These wonderful gifts of the Spirit. What a simple way we could pray for spiritual growth, again, for ourselves and for others. Lord, help me to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Help me to grow in these things, to grow in the fruits of righteousness, 
so that I would be a fruitful servant, bearing much fruit in my daily life because of your work in me. Seventh and last, it's a prayer for gospel growth through glorifying God and enjoying him forever. That is how he concludes this first paragraph, this first part of his letter, that to the glory and praise of God, they would grow. I love that wonderful question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the very first one, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end, what is man's purpose in life? The answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, but Paul puts it this way, that more and more, we would live to the glory and praise of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the fifth great marker of the Protestant Reformation, the fifth sola, solio deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. This is the goal of our lives. This is the goal of Christian growth. This is the purpose of God's church. This is the great summary of the Christian life and what it's to be about, that we would live for the praise and glory of God because of who he is and what he has done through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because too often we are being given a Christianity that's all about us. It's all about me. It's all about I. But the scriptures are here to correct us, brothers and sisters. It's about God. It's about his praise and his glory. Oh, Lord, help me. Help our family. Help our church to live for your praise and your glory. So here are seven ways that Paul prays for the Philippians that they would grow in the gospel. And he prays that their love would abound more and more. He prays that their knowledge of God would grow, that their discernment would increase, that they would choose what is excellent, that they would live holy lives, that they would bear the fruit of righteousness in their daily lives, and that they would glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is the prayer that we need for ourselves. This is the prayer that we need to pray for others. This is the prayer that we can pray for our church. So how can we pray this prayer for others? Husbands, we could pray this for our wives. Likewise, wives, we could pray this for our husbands or your husbands. Parents, let's, let's pray this for our children. Let's, let's go home tonight. Let's, let's pray this for, for Peter. Grandparents, let's pray this for your children and your grandchildren. Perhaps you could pray this for a friend today that you know is struggling big time. And they are struggling to connect the gospel to their daily lives. You could pray this for them. Elders, let's pray this for our flock. To all, let's pray this for ourselves. Let's pray that we would grow in this way. Let's pray that these things would bring revival in our lives. and Revival in our church. Pursuing these things, growing spiritually in these things every day, it, it won't be easy. It'll be hard. It takes a lot of work to grow fruit, doesn't it? I have killed more fruits and vegetables in my backyard. But we have good news. 
the one who began the good work in our lives will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus. The other good bit of good news is we don't have to do this alone. The Christian life is not, again, just about me and I. For we are all partakers of grace, is what Paul says. We all have this wonderful, intimate, deep fellowship in the gospel. We are all a body of Christ pursuing spiritual growth, walking in the Christian life together. And so are you taking advantage of all the means God has appointed to help you grow with other brothers and sisters? Let's do it. May God help us to grow in the gospel for his praise and his glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what an what a opening prayer this is. What a mighty calling you have given us to pray for ourselves and for others. So, Lord, we pray that our love for you and others would abound more and more. That our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ would increase. That you would give us discernment to do what is excellent, to make godly choices, Lord, that you would purify us and make us blameless for that great day when our Lord Jesus returns. Lord, would you fill us with the fruit of righteousness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, would you help us to live not for ourselves, but for your praise and your glory, that you get it all. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.